Welcome to the Seek Forgiveness Podcast. Hello. Before we begin, Sick Forgiveness is raising money for a book project, Mental Health Ki Hunnahe, to raise awareness of mental health issues for Sikh and Punjabi communities, complete with translations. You can donate on the GoFundMe page and the link is in the show notes. So even if you cannot, please share it on social media and help us tackle mental health stigmas in Sikh and Punjabi communities. Today, we bring you a two-part special. This is part one of two. Sandy speaks to four people working in various mental health services and the NHS. Dr. Mandeep Ranja, a clinical psychologist, Charanjit Kaur, a psychotherapist and counselling psychologist trainee, Jyoti Kaur, an educational psychologist and PhD researcher, and myself, a counselling psychologist. We discuss our thoughts and feelings around COVID-19, the effects of what's happened, what may happen moving forward, coping techniques and strategies to help us through this time. So firstly, I'd like to thank you for joining us today, Dr. Mandeep Ranja, your clinical psychologist. Yeah. Um, please tell us a bit more about yourself and what you do within the mental health industry. So my main area of work at the moment is kind of autism assessment, uh, but I do a lot of kind of my independent practices with kind of adults with anxiety. So my main work is with adults i don't tend to work with um younger groups at the moment and i've been yeah i've been in the nhs for about 14 years now are you a part of um one of the frontline workers currently for the nhs no not frontline work so i'm based in the community uh one of the things that's had a as a consequence of the covid outbreak is that i've gone into basically look after a new team um, who I'd previously worked for. So it's part of a redeployment and uh, sickness to a member of staff from that service. So I'm kind of helping them on a day-to-day basis with kind of community-based patients. So people who are often in um, care homes uh, or require quite a lot of support to kind of manage their care. And especially if they've been in hospital and they're discharged back into the community. How has... Um... COVID-19 impacted your work? Uh, quite a big impact. So I think in the first phase, um, everything has kind of shut down to a degree in terms of face-to-face contacts. Um, so to kind of limit, to do the social distancing stuff, regular work has uh was starting getting encouraged to close down, but then kind of the next stage kicked in was redeployment. So where staff were in services that um, were not doing kind of essential based work, they were getting redeployed to help out in kind of um, more needy areas. So some of the community staff have gone obviously to go help in, in units where there is COVID outbreaks, but then their work is then left on hold. So other services and then redeploying a lot staff so your regular work is is happening but with less of a frequency so you're going over to help other services where where they need much more support so hospital discharges those type of things are are where they're kind of redirecting staff to to take the pressure off the main hospital units do you think once the lockdown has been um lifted and people are going back into work 
schools, university? Do you think there's going to be an influx of clients for psychologists and mental health workers out there? It's uh, it's an interesting discussion I've had with non-psychologists as well. Uh, certainly with one of my friends who who um, who works in computer industry, but is switching to healthcare later this this year is going to basically retrain. Um, a lot of people think there's going to be a big kind of mental health wave to hit two or three months down the line. I would say so because definitely anxiety levels or with certain groups as well, the restrictions and the knock-on impact for their kind of economic circumstances are going to cause a lot of stress. So maybe not immediately, but yeah, in a few weeks, I think things are going to really get um, quite bad. It's definitely affected some patients immediately, but I think with a, with a certain bunch of people, once the um, job losses and stuff kick in, I think there's going to be a lot of difficulties then. And a lot of people are starting to struggle with... Um, you know, being at home with the family and if, if it's not a great environment, that's that's going to get get worse over the coming weeks. How, you mentioned that your specialist is with um, autism and young adults. How, how do you think it's impacting them at this moment in time? Quite, I think with, um, with the autism kind of, population one of the biggest issues is is their kind of rigid behaviors and stuff things that they may have done on a regular basis so if they relied on a particular community service and that's closed there is no longer an outlet and then the communication difficulties of why that's happening so if they have cognitive issues learning disability they may not quite grasp why they're being restricted from doing stuff so a lot of behaviors could could escalate in the in the living space and cause carers a lot of challenges or even family members if they live with family members. Um, for the more able individuals, it's it's more about access to kind of things that they enjoy doing. If, if it's home-based, then it's not so difficult. If it's community-based, can be an issue. For young people in general, I think actually, if you're thinking about children, I think it's going to have quite a big impact on, on some people. If you're out of school for a period, it's a massive part of their development. It develops so quickly and you're they're losing that opportunity for kind of the social development um all the other things education provides not just the educational part but yeah being with friends physical activity the whole range of things will get impacted quite a lot for that population but again it depends on how long it's going to last mm, i mean for as regular individuals and just as adults as well having implemented routine and it being turned upside down can be quite difficult um how important is it for for those with with a disability or a, a mental health condition to to rely on carers um so some people are really really dependent on the carers kind of to get into the community so if, if somebody is non-verbal um they might be physically able but they can't communicate particularly well the carers are setting up all the Kind of activities for them now if your carer can't get into your house because families are isolating um or even in some cases i've heard where carers have been unwell it may not be significantly unwell but to the point of where they have to isolate for, for a period of time then they might send an alternative person in who's not familiar with that individual's routines or care needs that can cause quite a lot of anxiety and distress and sometimes they may not accept care from somebody who's who's unfamiliar to them 
Um, so that always puts pressure on the kind of living space. Um, yeah, it's important that the activities are maintained. The challenges, you know, if you live in a home where there's a recreational space, you could potentially schedule in um, activity times for individuals um, so they maintain that kind of social distance. But if they're kind of in a small confined unit where there's none of that kind of space, then how do you manage that with a group? Um, and if your carer is the person that you rely on to communicate with you and understand you, if you're not particularly verbal, if you have a particular way of interacting and they're not able to be there, that's going to be really, you know, anxiety provoking for a number of people. Yeah, um, it is. the reason I ask is a friend of mine's daughter is autistic and she manages her autism very, very well. Um, and we've kind of picked up on the way she manages and her coping mechanisms and there's a routine and she has lists and schedules put in place for her and a small online community that she kind of refers to in need of support. What kind of support could you recommend for anybody who might be struggling at home? So if it's specific to, if we're talking kind of the wider population and you're struggling mm -hmm. at home, there is, you know, there's potentially, as everyone is saying, there's potentially a good part of this is it's allowed people to connect to kind of the pillars of what really is important to them. So for, for some patients, I can think um, this is quite an opportunity for them to connect. And this is more thinking that the general population, you know, working adults, um, that you're so caught up in your day to day kind of uh, routines of work and email checking and whatever else is going on and you have very little time for your family members. Um, this has given them an opportunity to kind of do more of that and really think about what's really important to them and, and the common ones tend to be family, friends, exercise, for some people spirituality, some people it can be kind of um, a particular community group or a particular hobby or interest such as gardening. So, those, you know, for, but for those struggling at home, it is kind of thinking about what's important to you. What can you do in the circumstances? You know, there is a practical element of, you know, doing things that you may be able to do at home that you don't have time to do on a regular basis, um, connecting by other means. So definitely some when I've checked in with uh, family, friends and um, people who are living with grandparents, how are their grandparents coping? And they seem to have adapted to using technology very quickly over the last three weeks. And that's allowed them to kind of maintain a sense of community. Um, also, just, yeah, people going out walking, you're allowed your daily exercise. If you can do that, um, do it with a family member. And, people, you know, neighbours have said they've met they didn't know who other people live with and they know who which particular family now belongs together because you've seen that and you've been able to just stop and chat in the street and do that type of thing. Uh, within kind of the household, some of the things are practically what you can do is, first of all, is the good hygiene behaviours. Um, it's an important part of it. Certainly, I was joking with uh, some cousins of mine about doing some Safai. It's a, quite an important part of... Um, <laughs> And it turned into a, a picture. Show. I can't believe I actually won that one because um, I sent a video of me scrubbing some tiles, but there were some before <laughs> and after shots of, um, of things that people had cleaned. So my cousin had painted her fence, tidied up her garden, somebody else was vacuuming. But, you know, your general ones that you keep, you know, 
keep washing your hands, take care of your health, you know, eat, sleep, exercise, all those kind of things are going to make you feel better. Um, keeping it and those impact your and support your mental health quite drastically in a positive way, especially how we're eating and sleeping and our routines that we have, those can really help us during this period where we're unable to get the outdoor social and physical activity in place. Yeah, no, it is, you need to, I mean, we were talking about working from home before kind of starting this, but it is like preparing for, for a regular day at work. It's just that your office is, is not leaving the home. You do get up, get dressed, get showered, wake yourself up, and then you're kind of, it gets you prepared for the day. It's a simple part of routine, but it does make you feel better when you do that. And it gives you that kind of structure. So you've got you know, you've got that bit, I'm working on this for now, I'm going to work on that for now, and that kind of gives you some kind of containment around what you're feeling. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it is, how do you maintain that sense of community? Because it's a really big protective factor for your mental health. Um, and community, we get through different things, such as work, social contacts, you know, um, religious communities, all those type of things that people have. How do you maintain that at the moment? Um, Technology is is the main thing people are going to. Um, for those who can get out, you know, look at who's in your local community. Who can you help? Um, setting up like a neighbourhood group. We've got one certainly where I live, where probably about fifteen of us are on a WhatsApp group, and people message around about who's going shopping, who needs what, and we've got some some people identified who are kind of housebound that we do drop things off for. And that also makes you feel good and connected. So not only are you helping people who need that kind of practical support, but you've got that connection with with people that you you gen you know you're working together for for a greater good of helping people out at a difficult time. How do you think this is going to impact the South Asian community? Because I mean, as you as you already know and aware of, is mental health is a huge stigma and a taboo within our um, South Asian communities. Do you think they'll be more accepting of, of what mental health is now? It's, it's a difficult one to predict. I'm getting certainly from feedback from sort of my parents' generation and mm-hmm. generation above them is, yeah, things are changing because, you know, one of the big issues at the moment is, you know, how funerals and things happen at the moment. So we will definitely somebody I know who has passed on, not due to COVID, but over this period, you know, you typically go to a funeral and last one I went to was October last year. There's load, the whole community comes out to pay their respects. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time you've got less than 10 people, you know, people come from abroad, um, you know, will send one member of their family to do that. And, People seem to be adjusting to that. And, you know, the feedback from some of the older members of the community have been is that this is the circumstance. This is we have to do this. Um, And I think maybe if they're able to shift around those type of things that have always been done in a particular way, maybe that's a sign that they'll start to shift thinking about kind of the impact of mental health. And, you know, it's not been hidden now. Everyone, you know, if somebody in your household loses their job, and the stress that causes and the, the knock-on consequence for that. And I don't know, whatever you might be, if you have to return your car or change your children's schooling or, you know, you're running out of food in the worst cases, 
you can't hide from that and um so i think it, there's there's a potential for kind of acceptance around that um i think you're losing one of the protective factors of that south asian community is that community spirit where people do go out and help each other um and yeah while they may not talk about mental health as openly but that's that protective factor is now kind of being limited by this so so it might might prompt a change in in discussion but again it's different families some people are, are much more flexible and willing to change about it i've certainly been approached about two or three people since this broke down about kind of older family members um but it's been driven by the younger people so it's it's the next generation who have implemented a change definitely i mean it's one of those things at the moment where you know that um shielding approach because it is about young people almost putting the parental role has replaced to a degree even uh when i think about my parents it's a bit like i put you, know, you guys please try not to go out it's it's not the other way around and you need to be back in by a certain time but certainly i know uh, a friend of mine their kids are in their kind of late teens early 20s really worried about their grandparents and almost just pleading with them not to go out and they've listened um which has been really reassuring for them and if um if they notice you know their parents lose their job or particularly stressed by situations that come they'll they'll be they're quite attentive to that the, you know the younger generation are much more open to kind of talking about their mental health um the challenge will be whether the older generation accepts that help um but they seem to be from the people that i know but it might be different for different groups so it's always down to the the sample size you're you're familiar with that's that's yeah there's a there's like two different spectrums of there's a community that's willing to accept the mental health that we're experiencing whether it to be to relationships or disabilities or anxieties or stresses and then there's a level of no we don't want to talk about it at all how much experience have you had in the sense of people who don't want to talk mental health at all um have you come up against any barriers definitely um you know sometimes certainly as a psychologist I think your job is to ask a difficult question um and sometimes you just say okay a lot of times I say, okay, I know you don't really want to talk about this, but mm -hmm. let's talk about what happens if we don't talk about this. And that sometimes gets people engaged in, well, actually avoiding the issue isn't helping them. And this is going to blow up into a bigger problem later on. Um, sometimes it is giving them kind of, you know, examples of, if you work with me now, I can help you. And we can hopefully prevent a lot of things happening later down the line. Um, but again, some people, until they hit that real rock bottom place, will not seek support. Um, so you can only encourage if it's only going to work if they collaborate with you. Um, and at the end of the day, they do the work. You're just there as almost like a participant to kind of help them do do some kind of mental health work. Um, but it's also again, this is where this this is an opportunity, I think, for some people, not not for every group, but when everything else stops, what do you focus on? If your pillars and your values are kind of key to who you want to be and where you want to get to, 
if you bring that into kind of okay all these things that we're avoiding talking about what is that doing to your connection with your you know if, if your friends and family are important what does that do to that um do you want to be a type of person who doesn't talk open and honestly or do you value that as something that's important to you as a person uh, and then they might start shifting and thinking actually you know what i need to do something about it it's always about timing um psychological work it's not um it's not us that does a good piece sometimes you just if you get the timing right it, it it's likely to work for somebody if the timing's wrong you have to give them an opportunity to come back when the time is right what kind of tools and tips do you think you could give to people listening to this podcast because I mean now we have been enforced to stop and to work from home so we we don't have the luxuries of the cinema and restaurants and going out for tea and coffee and all these other things that we were occupying our time with now we have the time to do that at home what can they put in place to support their mental health now they're at home the key part I would say is definitely try and get some structure to the day so you know one of the risks from working from home is that there isn't a start and a stop so try and put um you know a framework around okay I'm going to work from this particular if you're a morning person load it in the morning if you're an evening person do it in the evening uh -huh. uh, take breaks you know if you've got a small outdoor space or at least you can get somewhere where you can take that kind of daily exercise make sure you take it um mm -hmm. to break up your day um you know just try and connect with nature if you can see something interesting out of your window um could it be some kind of wildlife or something just take five ten minutes to kind of enjoy that um you know the newfound peacefulness of no planes and kind of less road traffic you can really enjoy the sounds that people are hearing um keep keep making that effort to kind of connect to people so you know if you've got family friends call them um you know i've got a call scheduled later on this afternoon with a, a friend of mine who lives in a different part of london um who got back on one of those last minute flights from from a much planned holiday to go see his his elderly father um do that um you know schedule something that's that's worth it so again, Saturday night gone, all my school friends log on, whereas it was possible. I couldn't because my little one was up, um, but I made sure I logged on for about 10, 15 minutes just so I could um, say hi to everyone. They went on and did an online quiz to keep themselves busy. <laughs> but it just, like I said, it's something to look forward to in that week. And you, it's, it's not the same, but it's still that thing about connecting to people you care about and seeing how they're doing. If you're a spiritual person, you know, take time to do that people have by no grandparents or friends of mine you know they're taking days you know half a day each to do their prayers and then kind of connecting in the middle and then walking around the other afternoon so they they're you know they're frail individuals but they're getting their exercise they're getting their kind of prayers in but they're also kind of maintaining that routine that they had to a degree before the lockdown was there they can't physically go out anywhere but they're, they're making the most of that opportunity at home and yeah it's a reflective time think about what's important so you know with the the light at the end of the tunnel is that this will lift at some stage what what type of person do you want to be ready to be at that stage you know what is it that you weren't doing you've got this chance to focus on 
you know, did I spend enough time with my family? Did I spend enough time uh, contacting my friends? Is there somebody I haven't contacted for some time? You know, have that in mind as something to look forward to that when this is over, you can actually go see them or pick up the phone and call them now. Is there anything you would like to say to anyone who's listening to this podcast at the moment? Um, look out, yeah, no, just, you know, do look out for people in your community. If you're able to do so and you're not, one of the vulnerable groups just check in on you know if it's somebody on your street that you you know may may be quite isolated just pop them a note through the door and see you know if there's anything you can do for them it might be pick them a loaf of bread or something whenever you go shopping or just you know check in on them occasionally knock on their door or just leave a nice little message or something like that yeah see what you can do for people um you know think about yourself as um as somebody if you're, you can you contain the stress levels for people who are particularly stressed can you you know offer reassurance be practical but yeah just you know be practical about stuff you know we are stuck at home a lot of us but you there are things that you can do within your household that maybe you've overlooked Take good care of your physical health and, you know, keep connecting with the people that are important to you and look out for the ones that, that may need that support. That's great. Thank you so much for today. Um, and we really Thank appreciate you. you taking the time out and doing this podcast with Seat Forgiveness and all the people that are going to be listening to this and be able to take some tips from you and the supports that people can have. And the key the key outcome from from your conversation today is being able to connect and being there to communicate and talk to one another that we are all in this together and that we can support one another so thank you so much for joining us today brilliant thank you for having me today we are going to be talking with joan jorkor is a trainee psychologist currently supporting many individuals out there and also doing some research for South Asian women, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Um, so along with being a trainee counselling psychologist, I'm also a psychotherapist and a counsellor. Um, but apart from kind of alongside within my training, certainly I'm doing research on South Asian women at the moment. And it's about looking at their experience of um, cultural difference when having had psychotherapy. So it's around, when I mean cultural difference, it's not around the difference between culture and therapist and client, but it's the difference in culture and the fact that we as South Asian women come from a collectivist culture. And what is it like then to embark upon a journey of therapy, which comes from a very Western discipline? And how does a South Asian woman manage that? So it's around how does therapy impact her general life, but also how does her being a South Asian woman impact her therapeutic journey? So that's essentially what the crux of my research is with the hope of delivering more cultural awareness out there around working with South Asian women, but it's also around you know, empowering South Asian women, giving them a voice and in it to enable to facilitate services, mental health services to be delivered more effectively to this cohort and even beyond as well. How have you found your research with regards to South Asian women at this moment in time? In this current climate with everything going on with the coronavirus, it has slowed down quite a lot. Um, 
you know, I was already experiencing, um, it was already kind of, although people were getting in touch with me around my research, I found that now it's, it's slowed down quite a lot. And I think it's because at the moment, understandably, people's preoccupation is with trying to manage themselves through this really, really difficult time. And I think that's been given priority, understandably, as it would be. And I think kind of perhaps getting in touch with other, um, getting involved in other things might be on the back foot at the moment for some people. Um, so at the moment, I do feel as though the research has slowed a little bit. You know, I'm still kind of searching for a few more participants, but it's at the same time giving me time to focus on other elements of, of the research itself as well. So I'm still kind of able to do some work but you know it's it's the data that I need um as well which hopefully you know after the, everything with this situation has subsided will kind of start to pick up a little bit again and with COVID-19 being the forefront of every person globally how has that impact um affected you and your day-to-day -day, your work life and the people that you've supported at the moment so in my working capacity i work for the nhs in a primary care service um as well as working um, in a prison with clients there and having a very small private practice and whereas obviously in the nhs we would see clients face to face in a room on a one-to-one -one basis now everything's happening remotely so it's happening over video and over the phone and from my perspective you know i work from a psychodynamic and also a very relational kind of point of view um and i feel that through that medium you know some of the cues that i would use within the work some of the more nonverbal cues you know body language that's getting a bit lost but i think at the same time what's important is that at least that support is being able to be given to these people you know at least they're still being able to have some support to get them through this difficult time you know, regardless of them, you know, not being able to actually be in a room with the therapist, but at least they're being able to still work on their mental health and talk to someone about it rather than keeping it all in. With regards to my um, work at the prison, that has, that's on a pause at the moment, understandably, because, you know, you can't work remotely with clients in the prison. Um, at the same time, it is a worry because I'd started some of my work with some of the prisoners and you know they were under the impression that their sessions would start you know soon or would carry on but obviously that hasn't happened but they they've been told about the situation and they've they're quite understanding about the situation they're being given kind of mental health packs to get them through this time as well um which is you know which is kind of really great for them to to be getting on with um but I think, I think, yeah, I think it's just changed the way that I would generally work. Um, video and working over video and over the phone is something that I would, would have hardly done. And it's just changing the way that us as psychologists and psychotherapists are, are just working at the moment and having to be kind of quite flexible with that. And would you say that's a skill that you've had to learn quite quickly, like, like on the job training? Yeah, definitely. I think so. Um, something 
you know, particularly with regards to telephone support, you know, you, you don't get any of the cues, any of the emotional cues coming across and um, that you would normally pick up on. And it's about having to really um, kind of sharpen your senses. Mm. Um, and through that, I've, it's just something that I've had to learn and kind of keep the conversation going over the phone and, and empathizing more and showing them that you're really, you know, showing the clients that you're really listening to them attentively. Everything that you would normally do in a face-to-face -face session, but even more kind of, at, at a more, um, what's the word, kind of intense level, I guess, because you just need to show that you're there with them, even though you're not there physically. Do you think eventually when the lockdown has been um, lifted and slowly, slowly we're introduced back into work, do you think more South Asian individuals will be seeking support for their mental health? My hope is yes. Um, I think, I think at the moment there is, there has been a lot of focus on the physical aspect of people's health, but I think gradually, you know, everyone is realizing and has been realizing how important the effects on people's mental health are. And I do hope with that, there is more conversation flowing out there amongst the South Asian community and hopefully it's going to be an encouragement for people from the South Asian community to come forward and talk about how this pandemic has affected them you know rather than seeing it as as it always has been seen as a taboo subject or you know having it has a negative stigma attached to it hopefully it will be more accepted that everyone is going through this at the same time and everyone is feeling, you know, or a lot of people out there are feeling anxious, worried, sad, you know, and it's where in this time it's all normal to feel that, you know, to hopefully they're feeling like a sense of almost solidarity that everyone is going through the same feelings and hopefully it's okay therefore to talk about it because it's not something that's just been experienced on an individual level. How do you feel in the sense of within Sikhi, how can people get that support from within themselves when they're not surrounded by their Sangat? Because as you know, when you go to the Gordwara and you're with your Sangat and you're able to do your seva, you're a part of a sense of community. It's embedded in you to be around these people. Um, when you don't have that, how can Sikhi support you now? I think the most powerful tool that our gurus have given us to use is Simran at this time. You know, Simran is the, the most amazing and useful thing that we can use to help us in this time. Um, Jopi Sab, the Sukhmani Sab part, as well as um, Simran, those three things, three things I say, are my go to wherever, whenever, at any time. Exactly. And it's, for us, it's an essential. It so is. We don't see, we, we, we have so much respect for it, and it's beyond anything that, um, any form of, enhancement that we could give it because it's beyond anything that we need 
it yeah. has the power to do so many things on so many different levels for so many different people because we all resonate to it in different ways yeah it's certainly and i think it's so interesting right now that we're just finding it difficult to find the words to describe it because it's something that is just literally beyond words you know in the in the in the intensity that it can help us at the moment you know chanting the name of waiguru with every breath at this moment you know it can just help us so much with just quietening our minds when our minds at this moment might just be flooded with thoughts negative thoughts worries anxieties and you know in gurbani it says sa sa simro gobind man andar ki utrechin you know literally by chanting the name of waiguru with each breath it will alleviate the worries of your mind you know and to know that we can use this as much as we want to 24/7 you know is the aim that gurbani says that we should be doing simran but to know that we can use it and at any time turn to waiguru for support through doing simran is such a special you know gift that we've been given um it's just that is what can help us you know that like, not just through sikhi but in other religions as well chanting of the name for the word that they use for god you know is is just something that can bring a lot of peace to our minds at this time um too so that's what i would say is the most powerful tool that we have and have always had it's just about recognizing it and i think in <clears throat> other faiths as well um not just in sikhi is sometimes we get lost on the path on how much we need to dedicate to our faith Mm. um but actually it's it's just small moments in your day that can help on such a large scale yeah 60 seconds or 5 minutes with your family or by yourself it can do so many things for you to bring some mindfulness and some peace within to your mind and body and soul yes exactly um, and at this time you know your family is your sangha so to be doing simran together as a family can be so powerful you know at this time when we you know this time is interesting because it can bring people together you know but it all can also be quite disruptive amongst families but to know that if you do simran together as a family it can bring you together so much stronger you know then to take that practice up on a daily basis you know it will help you through this time so much more easily you know easily have you felt um during this time that you've had more more people reach out to you um interestingly no and i think i think on a professional level we've as the nhs have offered our services you know our therapeutic services to those who need it particularly those on the front line and it's interesting that you know uptake is low at the moment but also it's understandable because these front line workers literally are in their professional capacity is 24/7 you know they don't have the time to stop and think how is something affecting them emotionally because in psychology we call we call this like they're literally in the fight response you know trauma has 
three different responses, fight, fight and freeze. And literally the trauma that they're experiencing with having to, literally they're saving lives. You know, they're looking after people who have, who have the coronavirus. They're looking after their own colleagues as well, who they've been working with potentially for years, you know, and that is all traumatic for them, but they have to keep going. For them to stop and think about how is something affecting them emotionally would just mean that it might be difficult for them to pick themselves up again you know at this moment in time what they're going through they can't they're not being able to process that and it's just their way of trying to survive so I think that's why kind of uptake to therapeutic support which is readily out there for them even at this time is quite low um, yeah. how do you think it's going to impact the the frontline workers, the doctors, the nurses, also the individuals who are essential key workers at the moment. Because as you said, they're currently in their trauma stages where they haven't had the chance to adapt or even take in what is going on because they're out there working and at the paces that they can't even imagine would ever have happened to them but also having to deal with conversations over the phone as you said as well adapting on the job and giving advice but also news over the phone mentally and emotionally is going to impact them on such an intense level how do you think that's going to impact them once they have the time to acknowledge it I think it's gonna, it's either one of two ways, either once this pandemic kind of subsides, it's either gonna, and, and, and they realize that they can now finally slow down. Mm. For some of them, it might hit them quite hard. And for some of them, it might come gradually. And I think that comes at the pace of allowing themselves to be able to process what they've just gone through. And there might be waves that they find themselves getting really, really emotional. And then, you know, to look, they, might, they might find that there's certain triggers that cause that to happen. You know, they might find that, you know, through even the most trivial things that it's, it's kind of really brought about such a strong emotional reaction, crying, you know, not being able to control themselves at that time. But it's about for them recognizing that it's because of what has happened to them, what they've had to go through, through this time, you know, to be able to recognize that would be important, but also for them to be able to know that they need to talk about it. They need to talk about how this has affected them. As you say, you know, there are frontline workers out there who are having to tell family members remotely that their family member is going to die or has died and they're having to listen to those family members cries and pleas to come in to, to you know to be able to see their family member and they're having to say no and that is incredibly incredibly difficult and traumatic you know these frontline workers are going to be in so exhausted after all of this they're going to need to take some time out for themselves and look after themselves in the best way that they can but also reach out for support from those around them as well because i mean they're fighting a, a a virus where they have no understanding of they have mm -hmm. 
don't acknowledge or have the knowledge of where the symptoms are coming from. Young individuals are dying who have who are completely healthy and have no other symptoms. And I think recently there was something where a young woman had, I think it was a young woman, where they, um, there was an x-ray or something and within her, she had coronavirus within her lungs and she had no underlying symptoms. Mm. And it was things like that. I think maybe for someone who's trained in a profession for such a long time mm. and has been given all the text and the the tools and the the needed requirements to tackle anything that's come across this is a level of fear for maybe some professionals and i know a lot of doctors and nurses are are doing their duty of care and providing their services which is amazing to see mm. And they are risking their lives for everyone like us who is ha do have the ability to work from home. But it's, it's also scary to understand that they also have to, at some point, acknowledge what's going on yeah. and how it's going to impact them emotionally and mentally and impact them, not just them, but their family life as well. Yeah, exactly. And that's just it. We don't know. This, this coronavirus is new. We don't know enough about it to be able to know how to handle it, you know. And as you say, you know, a, a professional could have had as much training, you know, to be able to kind of, how do I put it? You know, obviously people are trained medically, but for something that we don't know anything about can be so daunting at this time. And my hope is that, you know, these mental health professionals, sorry, these frontline workers don't come out of this thinking I could have done more because they are doing everything they possibly can. You know, they're holding on to every piece of information about this virus as it's coming as new information is coming in to be able to help these people who you know you know have been struck down by this virus and i hope they can hold on to that to know that they at this moment they're doing everything that they can in their power to try and save lives for those individuals who are who were struggling with a with their mental health before covid what advice would you give them now during COVID because now is a time where many of us as you said before may feel okay now people understand how I felt before COVID um, and anxiety is natural and is normal within everybody how would you encourage those who are in recovery during COVID to continue their recovery plan to continue to stay strong especially those who may live on their own as well mm. it's the, one of the powerful things is to talk you know is to not keep within them what they're feeling because people who are on their journey into recovery on their mental health you know 
had been talking, whether that be to a professional person, whether that be to someone, you know, from the Samaritans, for example, you know, to know that there are these organisations and people out there who they can express how they're feeling to, whether it be, you know, Samaritans is a free telephone support service that's open 24-7 literally to listen to how people are doing. But, you know, for people who are feeling alone or isolated, they can do things like writing things down about how they're feeling or expressing themselves through art or poetry you know, continue to do that as a form of expression. But as you say, most importantly is to know that if they are feeling a bit more anxious than they were before, you know, and scared and sad that these are absolutely normal feelings to be experiencing at this time. And it's also to try and, you know, if you do have family, you know, to stay connected you know we're so lucky that in today's you know time we have technology you know we are able to use video calling to keep connected with those around us um, and not feel so much of that sense of isolation but it's also if you're if people are working from home and are struggling with that they're finding that their professional and personal kind of timings are kind of getting blurred is to enable is to ensure that they're keeping boundaries so if you're if you generally start your working hours from nine to five you know keep it to those times make sure you're you know taking your breaks that you would normally do if you were going out to work as well and even if you weren't because you know people might be workaholics so they might not be taking any breaks <laughs> but it's about now taking that time to realize how important that is as well um, also because we're at home you know we might find that our routine has kind of gone out the window so we might sleep later you know we might wake up later um, we might not focus so much on our kind of meals or what we're eating but it's about knowing that having a routine as something as simple as a routine can benefit our mental health so much more um, <clears throat> and Another way I think is to just be careful about how much you're actually watching the news, you know, through things like WhatsApp and, you know, I've certainly experienced a lot of stuff being spread around and not a lot of it is true. You know, a lot of it is fake and only going to, you know, trying to just watch the legitimate news channels, you know, is, is something that, you know, is, is an accurate true source, you know, but also try not to, always have the channel on the news you know because if you're constantly being bombarded with how many people are dying at the moment and how many more people the coronavirus has affected that will affect your mental health it might not you might not feel it happening on a conscious level but even it might be happening on an unconscious level as we talked about earlier you know meditation is something that can really help you with your thoughts at the moment and keeping active you know we're able to still go out for walks for runs for a form of exercise using that opportunity to be able to do that and also just being mindful about you know changing rooms within your house I certainly feel that when I'm in one particular room kind of for days for a few days at a time you know I have this feeling of being in <laughs> I'm sure kind of a lot of other people might be experiencing out there so just be mindful about changing the run that you're in you know we've we've been blessed at this moment with beautiful weather you know so even to take that opportunity to go out into the garden and soak up some vitamin d as you're doing some work you know is it will be something that will help you too 
think one of the, you've just mentioned is one of the good things throughout our conversation I've picked up on is right now I think everybody especially within the UK have felt that sense of community mm. within one another yeah. um I mean within the Sikh community we've always kind of had that connection with supporting each other and um doing seva whether it's with our neighbors or at the gordora or at charities or you know for longer aid things like that but random strangers helping one another with their neighbors building or setting up small community and food runs for individuals i think one of the most positive things that's come out of this for sure during covid is the sense of community and how we support one another um and we should focus on and have more communication and conversations around what has come up positively during covid oh yeah completely you know and i think this is such as well as being a very difficult time is such a unique time in the sense that at this moment everyone in the whole world is going through the same thing at the same time you know there is there is no divisiveness there is no there is no division there is no segregation you know there is everyone's fight is the same everyone's mm-hmm. going bereavement you know all at the same time and i think because of that empathy levels have increased as you say people are supporting each other everyone is supporting and helping everyone and anyone without looking at those factors or elements that might have kept us divided in the past like ethnicity class gender education whatever it might be you know this is the time that we can come together not just on a community level but on a global level to support one another you know we are one at this time and i think we'll come out of this stronger in our ties globally you know gurudwara out that this loads of gurudwara out there that are providing lunga to literally loads of people bags of food essential items not just gurudwara other charities but what i'm hearing about is that they're all collaborating with each other now you know everyone has come together so strongly and it's such a positive thing to know that we can come together as one human race to be able to do that and fight all together you know is just so special at the same time as being incredibly difficult but also as you say being able to look at these more positive impacts that this is having um on the world around us on people being able to support one another is so important to be able to reflect upon and take in right now on that note i would like to say thank you for joining me today it's been amazing um so informative and hopefully this will support those out there who are struggling or need a new sense of perspective or trying to get some support on other new routines and um mindfulness that they can pick up from this talk and thank you for joining us today That's no problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to donate to Sick Forgiveness, we'd normally ask you to donate at ko-fi.com forward slash sickforgiveness for £3. 
but we're currently raising money for a book so please find the link in the show notes and donate at the gofundme page seek forgiveness of a target of five thousand pounds to reach in order to get this book to publication and all donations help please share the link and donate if you can thank you